Hello and welcome again to the famous CFC podcast where each episode offers a deep dive into the wonderful history of Chelsea Football Club. My name's Gary Barone and I'm joined as usual by club historian and quite marvellous Rick Glanville. Hi Rick. Hello mate, how are you? Pretty decent actually, pretty decent. Now, we're fortunate enough to live in an age where virtually every goal or major incident on the pitch is made available on video. But what about capturing those intimate moments behind the scenes? Or the passions of the fans, the nooks and crannies of a stadium, particularly in the days before video ruled the roost. But it just so happens we know exactly the man to ask. Brilliant former official photographer, John Ingledew, who started taking snapshots at Chelsea matches for fun, and then he became the official photographer for Chelsea magazine up to 2005. He is an absolutely great interviewee. But as usual, could we put John in a bit of perspective alongside mm. other photographers, Rick? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And why don't we then why don't we start at the beginning with the brilliantly named Gambier Reeks, who in nineteen oh four lived over the road from the stadium that was emerging uh, on the Fulham Road at Stamford Bridge. And he was engaged by one of his neighbours, only Gus Mears, who just um bought the ground and was starting a football club, uh, who realised he needed probably an official photographer to capture all of those very early images of the club that was starting from scratch and going into the Football League. So Gambier Reeks, and it's spelled G-A-M-B-I-E-R-R-E-K-S, so really unusual name. He was the man who was able to put together all of the very first team photos and other images uh, that we know of Chelsea from the very earliest days. So we owe him a lot. Um, initially, Gambier had made a, he made a living on the Fulham Road uh, taking wedding snaps and, and family portraits, would you believe, of exiled French royalty. That was his speciality. And, of course, in 1905 now, he's capturing Willie Falk and the like in all his glory. And our, as we know from uh, podcasts past, he was the one who first captured uh, English football's, well, football's first ever ball boys. Uh, that was Gambier Riggs, who uh, has the copyright for all that stuff. Unfortunately, Gambier, he wasn't our club of photographer for very long. And he died in 1917 after being knocked over by a bus on the Fulham Road during a World War One blackout. Now, who knew there were blackouts in World War One? Um, and he left a massive fortune. So obviously it was lucrative to take pictures of ancient royal princes and defunct royalty. Um, he left this lavish fortune that he's uh, in his will that his widow, Rachel, sadly soon consumed. Now, she had a really lavish lifestyle. In fact, she had a permanent seat, a ticket booked at the nearby Granville Theatre. So anything that was on there, she had a ticket reserved and you would never... You were never allowed to sit at Madame Rachel's seat. Uh, that's what the um, concierges and other people would, would say. And she she held these massive parties that cost a fortune and anyone could come and, and go there. Um, uh, older fans uh, that attended Chelsea may remember that Gambier Reek's motorcycle shop, which for decades stood around the corner on um, away from the ground on the New King's Road. That was very famous for scooters and motor motorcycle repairs. But those were Gambier's sons and grandsons uh, ran that. Um, and sadly, Rachel, 
their mother or grandmother had a breakdown and threw her sons out on the streets. They had to kip uh, on embankment on benches for a while until they uh, were taken in by others. So it's great to know they recovered and had this successful motorcycle shop uh, for such a long time. I love that story. I think it's very sad about getting run over in a blackout in World War One, but it's a great oh, story. You've got to live your life. You never know what's going to happen. You might get run over by a bus. Yeah, exactly. People say that all the time, but then you find that it really does happen. <laughs> now, now, moving forward, or may I say zooming forward, I remember seeing the byline Monte Fresco and a lot of mm. the more lifestyle-type Chelsea pictures of the 60s and 70s. Yeah, particularly, you know, I think the Evening Standard and I think the Mirror, I think it was, Monte Fresco. I think he he seemed to be really well in with the Kings of the Kings Road, you know, the 1960s, 70s team, and took a lot of what are now iconic off-field or, or storytelling photos of the players, I think. He liked to kind of capture uh, a photo that had a kind of uh, an intrigue to it. And I think to give a good example of that, there's one from 1971 uh, that was taken in the Chelsea dressing room after the Jeunesse Hocherage 13 0 game. Um, and he managed to get the moment when, or stage the moment, I believe more likely, when Peter Osgood was handing over a crisp five pound note to Peter Benetti, having lost a pre match bet that he, Aussie, would score a double hat-trick against the Luxembourg part-timers, obviously, and he, and he scored five. Terrible. Um, but uh, So Monty Fresco is the one who, said, you know, who set it up. Come on, that would make a great snap. Come on. And so it's there for posterity. I think Monty also took the ones of the brilliant comedian and, and blues fan, Marty Feldman, um, larking about in Dave Webb's newly opened hair salon. You know, goofy pictures, mm. sort of antics those were those were a speciality to show what uh, the players were like the mischief that they sort of got up to it was a bit like also when footballers started to be a bit like pop stars as well wasn't it sort true of, um, the glamour of it and um that they exactly. were big celebrities in the paper as well weren't they and it's a good point because obviously the the culture of sports photography changes according to the technology that's available and particularly print technology so you you know you see that in old newspapers, once they were able to print uh, really good quality photographs, suddenly you get all these illustrated uh, magazines cropping up. That are just loads of photos packed in there, and newspapers like the Daily Mirror, Sunday Mirror, would have photo spreads, as you say. And so you know, in later years. Uh, as the quality improved, you'd get colour coming in and things like that. So photographers, sports photographers took advantage of that uh, to um, to capture the moment. Anyway, around the late 70s, I noticed we had a club photographer called Hugh Hastings, and I think eventually took over as editor of the Match Day programme. Yeah, he, he did. Um, Hugh came in as the as the official photographer, and um, but uh, soon he took over from... He succeeded the great Albert Sewell and uh, edited the Matchday programme. And again, Hugh was able to, and, and you know, big fan as well, Hugh, was able to capture some really enduringly magnificent images. I mean, some of the shots he took of the 
the team in the 80s and using colour and black and white, and particularly the ones around our, our promotions at the time, are absolutely brilliant uh, little time capsules. And um, he recorded all the sort of huge changes that were taking place at the club and in the stadium, such as the arrival of Stamford the Lion. He's got, you know, reams and reams of photos of, of Stamford uh, cavorting on the pitch. But Hugh, even though he's not involved in the uh, things like the, the programme anymore, is actually very much involved on the club photography front to this day because he, and I know because I contacted him recently, he's gradually adding a huge um, back catalogue of still photos to the club's digital archive. So that'll be available to people that want to uh, use them in books or, you know, online or whatever. I think through Getty. Um, and I'm actually a bit of a scoop. I'm currently working on a picture-led book called The Bridge, which is a, uh, uh, you know, says does what it says on a tin. It's a history of Stanford Bridge. And it's very exciting to see some of the less well-known material that uh, Hugh and other photographers, uh, you know, took that's now coming online. That sounds really interesting, Rick. And I look forward to getting that book when it comes out in the summer. Well, you'll be the first to get a signed copy, mate. I look forward to that. Well, that brings us neatly up to date. So let's now hear our highly entertaining interview with official Chelsea photographer, John Ingledew, including an absolutely fantastic story about Gianfranco Zola at the end. But we <laughs> began by asking him how he got into snapping footballers. Hello, John Ingledew. Great to see you again. And uh, for the benefit of our listeners, John and I, both used to work for the Chelsea programme in the 1990s. Um, I was writing various stuff, doing Q&As. John was taking photos that were being used. And it was a great time. Uh, John actually produced, uh, in this excellent period in our history, some of the most iconic imagery. Uh, pretty much all black and white you used, wasn't it, John? I think all black and white. Hello, listeners. <laughs> that, that's very kind of you, Rick. Yeah, mostly black and white. Uh, a brilliant time to be there. A, a brilliant time to be part of the, the media Chelsea family, really. It was lovely. And also you were travelling home and away. I mean, we used to bump into it, oh, sometimes share a car or whatever, but bump into each other all the time. Our paths crossed an awful lot. Uh, Rick, Rick, it was the dream job for me that, that uh, I did the, the first book um, that came out about, I think, 1999. And, and shortly afterwards, I, I got the phone call, um, which I thought was a wind-up. It was, uh, hello, we're, we're calling from Stamford Bridge. Um, we're, we're thinking of uh, doing a new magazine and redoing the club newspaper. And we're doing this thing called a website. Have you heard of them? <laughs> and uh, I, I, I thought, who is this? You know, <laughs> no, no, do you fancy coming in for a meeting? We'd quite like you to work for us. You know, if you fancy doing it, you know, it would be a sort of day a week at the training ground working with the players. And, and you know, we'd like you to go home and away for us. And, and I thought, who is, you know, which particular, uh, <laughs> this winding me up. But, but I went for the meeting and uh, it was uh, all for real. And I did seven seasons, Rick, and it, it was a it was a brilliant time, you know. That that through um, 
the end of Viali, uh, Ranieri, and then the first glorious season uh, with Jose up to, I think my final game was the Bolton game, winning the league after 50 years. Well, talk about going out on a high. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) John, it's really nice to meet you. Now, I detect maybe a non-London twang. Now, all of us have our own white Chelsea story. So, John, what's yours? I'm from the suburbs. We were from Orpington, which is, of course, a really big Chelsea catchment area. And and I used to come up with my mates, uh, first game, 77. But then in 78, I moved to London to come to art college. And rather brilliantly, the, the student hostel, uh, such a den of iniquity, they, they had to demolish it, was in Albert Bridge Road. Wow. And, uh, and you could uh, you could walk to the bridge, and so it became part of what I did. And then then we moved, you know, later on when I left college, uh, we moved to Battersea, and you could hear the goals go in before they covered the ground when it was still open. I think the sound travelled much further. And if yeah. you weren't if you weren't there for a game, you could hear the crowd. Of course, you could hear the crowd before the game because everyone queued up so early. And it was like calling you, calling you. So there was no other club. You know, in the playground at, at primary school, uh, Raymond Shilton, my mate, wanted to be Georgie Best and I wanted to be Alan Hudson, you, you know. But in Orpington, you didn't really have a choice, you know. <laughs> did right. you study, so you're at St. Martin's, right? And did you study photography at St. Martin's or were you just doing generally art or some other design? I I studied graphic design. I I really loved magazines. And and what got me into uh, my art school was I did a zine. I did a punk rock zine in the heady days of punk rock. Didn't we all? Uh, We did, exactly. And uh, so, so, you know, the the course that seemed to fit because I – I like kind of typography and stencils and using images, and I'd always loved images. Like, uh, you know, when my mum and dad used to have, like, the Sunday supplements and the daily papers, I used to tear pictures out from a really young age just because I loved the pictures. There was something about a great picture, something sort of encoded into it that meant it was powerful. So, so I, you know, I got lots of scrapbooks and sketchbooks from when I was a kid. And that and the zine got me into art school. And we just had a really good photography department. And they were really encouraging of us to go and photograph the things that we did. You know, none of that dreaming of being a fashion photographer and going to exotic locations <laughs> with fancy models. They just said, you know, photograph the things that you do. Not Terry O'Neill then. That wasn't your ambition. Uh, I, I liked my heroes were were all in black and white. There were great photographers like William Klein, Diane Arbus, Robert Frank, and one of my big heroes, sadly, who, who, who like um, sadly like William Klein died died last year. Colin Jones was a huge hero of mine, who is an amazing kind of observer and Sunday Times photographer from from the supplements. And he did amazing stories like the Black House that made me want to be a photographer, and and so under that kind of influence that that, that I set off with a college camera and and you know one roll of thirty six film that I developed and printed at college, 
and started taking pictures at the bridge. So you're a supporter going regularly to games, but unlike 99.9% of us, you decided to take a huge cumbersome camera into the ground. Why was that? And did you used to get hassle from the stewards in those days, or was it easier to get away with having a lens in the stands? It was funny. There was always that sign outside that said, you know, no fireworks, no samurai swords, no, you know, hobnail boots. And also on that list was no cameras. And, and, um, a couple of times, you know, at, at, at Arsenal once and at Chelsea once, you sometimes get asked, and I just say, "Oh, they say what? You know, why are you taking a camera?" And I'd say, "Oh, I want to be a photographer. I'm taking pictures." And and you know, they didn't seem to to mind. It was funny. No one had a camera then. It was unusual. I was quite uh, conscious that it was very unusual. And the interesting thing, looking back. Uh, you know, particularly pre kind of 84, that, that I would manage to get about half a dozen games on one roll of film, that, that I'd only take a couple of pictures. It's not like today where you do loads yeah. and loads and loads, not like later when I was working professionally for Chelsea, where, of course, you'd spend a whole roll of films to get one picture. Uh, and so I would take maybe three or four. Also, it was expensive. You had to print yeah. it. You had all of that. But, you know, a couple of times, I remember at Crystal Palace, uh, I, I had me Dr. Martin Laces taken. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't take my camera. You know, that happened a bit. <laughs> uh, that's really interesting because you're right. People don't uh, make, you know, younger people wouldn't know how laborious it was to have photos uh printed up you know you had to wait till you'd use the whole 36 shots and then take the take the roll down there or if you had your own studio you could uh you could do that but i completely empathize with you just sort of sparingly eking it out over several matches but also i want to point out to people that one of the things that makes your your photojournalism so effective is that unlike the majority of people that take photos at football, you weren't necessarily uh, looking for what regular snappers were doing, like goals, player celebrations, that kind of, if you like, the, the action. You were more about the the culture the, of the, the game. Uh, I mean, I could study some of your crowd shots for, for ages. So what? how did that evolve? How did you sort of switch on to the... The, the fan culture rather than the action, if you like. I, I Rick, I, I, I still, do. I've always loved the whole pinch, the whole pageant. I think, I think the ninety minutes is obviously the kind of highlight. But I, I used to love the walk to the game. You know, I, I used to love the, the seeing people out the pubs on the way to the game, seeing your mates meeting up, hearing the news, hear, hearing how, how it's all going. You know the anticipation of the game. And I, I always thought photographing the whole pageant was really important. And also there, there was a little bit of me that I really liked that kind of, I, I, there's something fantastic about um, people who make the effort to show their belonging. You know, mm. my very favourite picture of all time is Peter Blake's Boy with Badges, mm. where he's covered in all those rock and roll badges on his denim jacket. And I've always loved that picture because it, it you know, wearing a badge, wearing your colours, I think is really important. I think that 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 
thing it's really really deep within insiders to be tribal and i love that and i i I love very early on i took that picture of pauline the badge lady Mm -hmm. and every every club had a badge lady that had a big scarf covered in badges and and you'd often see them on match of the day at west ham or you know that you'd see these badge ladies and i bumped into pauline on the fulham road and i just thought god i've got to take this picture i've got to take this picture and it's one of those things where where now you know you gain confidence. You let you know. I, I, I'll talk to anyone now. I'll stop anyone because <laughs> I know. You know, I always ask if I can take that your picture. You know, excuse me. You know, I'm a photographer. Can I take your picture? The worst that can happen is they'll say no. You know, they'll say no. I, I, I don't want to. Uh, and and so, I, but I didn't quite have that confidence then. But I'm really glad I did those pictures where I stopped people and I did it. So I love the whole lot. I love the kind of making your own stuff i love making your own banners it's so important to football uh culture that that you know i i was very much in love with that from the start and um also i i think that the fans are the most important facet of the whole thing you know as we said in in this the the zine that's out now you know owners come and go managers come and go players that come and go the only constant for us is the fans, and because uh, because of of the clever endeavours of of supporters groups, the ground. I love that we have this little bit of turf that we go to all the time. It is religious. It is going back to this special place. It is worshipping. I love all of that, Rick. I love it. Well, fantastic. Now, some of the images you've taken, they're like these great moments of Chelsea's history frozen in time. Now, when you were taking them, was there any sense of building a legacy? Was that a deliberate approach? Um, I did it even though football was incredibly unpopular. If you imagine the 80s, you know, what was it? The Times called it, you know, uh, a a slum game for slum people in slum stadiums. (laughs) Football was incredibly unpopular, but you know, those of us that went and the crowds at times were pretty tiny in the bridge, you know, was down to, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18,000, you know, yeah, a, a tiny, tiny number of fans. And uh, I kept going because it, I, I thought it was uh, so special and it was an important point, part of my life. But then what happened is, you know, and I think it is down to Gaza and Gaza crying and a new affection for England and everything that we felt about Bobby Robson and everything. And suddenly there were football, you know, football became bigger news. It filled up more of the back pages. It's there started to be football magazines. Football got more glamorous. And and uh, my pictures were published, I think, in goal where they ran like, 12 spreads of them which was absolutely amazing because it was old football at the point where new football was arriving and and after that when when I had the chance to do the first book after that I knew you know let's keep going let's keep going because I've seen this very special time in football you know this remarkable transformation. The famous CFC will be back with more from Chelsea photographer John Inglejew after this short break. 
Are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus servers. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened check it out my link nordvpn.com forward slash london is blue to get your subscription started today did you prefer uh sometimes taking photos at away games because there was maybe a different atmosphere than like on the old specials uh you know the old special trains and the, the characters that you would regularly see on there i i uh, i that wasn't uh, I did the coaches, I did the ferries, I did a few <laughs> trains, but I, again, that thing of, uh, of the, there is a section in 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 the second book I be, did, and now you're going to believe is of the travelling fans, and uh, they are a particular breed. They are kind of the commitment to go up to Newcastle. I went up to Newcastle on, on a coach that left Stamford Bridge at four in the morning, it was an afternoon. It was an early afternoon kick- kickoff to Newcastle, and we got back after match of the day had finished. The <laughs> commitment to give up that much of your life—it was extraordinary. I mean, I did love doing those. I missed the days of, of uh, you know, the Boot Boy specials. Um, uh, that that that's not something I photograph, but there is something special about being at an away get, a, a away ground. There's something fantastic about winning away. There's something deep, deep within you that's very special. And also, I I, I quite like that you never quite know where all the away fans have got their tickets. You know, <laughs> so you meet the people that only go to the northern games, or you meet the people that are, are you. Has that been your experience? Oh no. Absolutely. You, uh, I think sometimes now that's because supporters clubs, which you know, we have many more of these days, uh, have a, an arrangement to get hold of tickets. But back then it was just, I think, uh, people buying tickets for, you know, people ringing up and saying, oh, well, you know, I only live 10 miles away from there. So can you get me a ticket? And then those habit, those became habit forming, didn't they? So you'd get all the Scots uh, fans that, Newcastle, you'd get all the Northern fans at Leeds or Man United or wherever, and it became habit for me, didn't it? Get, get me a ticket and I'll, I'll find a decent pub for us all to go to. That, yeah, that'd be safe. Exactly. <laughs> Another thing about the away is you just saw how different, um, you know, that the, the bridge we're used to our own way of doing things. And also so it's so fascinating to see how other people did it. You know, uh, uh, also, I quite like when you get a weird kind of away kind of thing in Gillingham or something, and then uh, they'd all be wearing like beekeepers hats and things. So uh, 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 
there was always, and, and away at Norwich one time when a load of the Norwich fans are dre- dressed as Delia. I, I just thought <laughs> all of that stuff is just so brilliant. Well, let's be having you. <laughs> um, John, you, you've, you've already mentioned some of the pleasure you've taken in stopping fans and asking to take their photographs. So out of all the different characters and the various subcultures, do you have, do you have any favourite that you remember, any favourite character? Um, you know, Sam Lovejoy's died recently. He, he was a, a wonderful fan who I photographed. Uh, I, I think we got him in the Chelsea mag a few times. Uh, you know, it, it, he was one of those that was always an absolute joy to bump into wherever, and he was a home and away. I mean, I, I would say that, that the pictures that I, I think I'm most proud of are, uh, I would say it's Pauline the Badge Lady. I loved mm-hmm. it that when she died at a good old age, that they had a story about her in the programme, yeah. that, that her scarf's now in the museum, that she tracked me down after the, the first book came out and his, her daughter rang me up and she said, yeah, yeah, you, you photographed my mum, Pauline. You know, she doesn't get down the bridge much, but she loved to see you. She loves the pictures. She's made a cake and can you go for tea on Sunday? <laughs> now that is the brilliance of photography is this passport to these adventures more cake exactly absolutely brilliant <laughs> adventures of cake with pauline and she only lived a few weeks she was only up in clapham so i could walk there it was absolutely brilliant so it's yeah. only you know I, i've you know here i am you know I've, I've got a picture framed up on the wall here you know i could go and get it and and of all the fans I love that longevity, you know, that 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 thing, you know, a bit like you now, Rick, you know, that, oh, the things I've seen. Do you know what yeah. I mean? If you, you know, now that, that you're into five decades of it or whatever, you know, yeah. I love that Pauline had got, you know, over six decades of going. Absolutely brilliant. There's a lot you to know, be said for just sticking around. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think we still have those subcultures in the stands? Or do you think it's that, in a way, the selected seats, you know, nominated seats that you have to sit in, has got rid of some of that kind of where the congregation element, where like-minded people would just kind of stand together, all the young people would stand together, and the older ones who didn't want to be part of that would stand somewhere else on the terrace? It's different. Uh, And, you know, things change. If you look at some of the early pictures from the sheds, it, it, it it's all men, it's all young men. There's no replica shirts. You know, I, I, I loved, you know, in later years, I loved taking my daughter. I loved taking her to her first game. You know, I think that the, the shed was wonderful. Very happy memories of the shed. It was a death trap. You know, it, it, <laughs> you know when people fell over at the end of the game and were pulled up and it was all very jolly with the crashes and the surges and everything. Yeah, surges were horrible. <laughs> the surges, the truth is, Fun, you know, horrible. if one thing had gone wrong and, and, you know, I love, I love the international fans, you know, yeah, I love, you know, I love being next to a guy from Korea or a guy from China, you know, that, and, and no one has ownership of, of being a fan. You were a fan by belonging and we're all the same, I think. Um, uh, and, I, I I still go with the same chaps that 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 I've been going with for a long time, and and now we take our grandchildren. Now now we you know 
and and they they still think they're the boys in blue in Division Two, but but you kind of have to go. Now, now, Ben, you know, you own your own company. You know, it's like uh, you live in a large house in West London. You know, uh, so it's it's different, Rick. You know, but but we all belong in different ways, and there are new ways of belonging. You know, and I I, I think you see uh, uh, all the different patch, uh, all the different spectrum of fans. Uh, and I love that. I love that young people can go now very safely. I love that that um, there's so many young women that feel they belong and really totally. care. Totally, yeah. It's brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Now, John, you mentioned earlier that when you stopped and asked someone to take the photograph, the worst they could do is say no. But what was it like asking the players or coaches? Did anyone ever object to you taking a photograph? Um. I, I just had the most brilliant time. Uh, 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 in particular, the international players are incredibly warm and welcoming. You are at work. The players are not your friends. You are there to do a job of work, but they understand that you, you, you're there for the Chelsea media and that you've got the access. I mean, I, I, I had you know, a fantastic time, particularly with the international players. Viali, Poye, Bobby Di Matteo, Georgie Ware, uh, you know, uh, absolutely brilliant. Occasionally, you you, you uh, were kept in your place that that you knew you had to be quick. You know, you knew. Oh, you, definitely, you, that was always the thing, wasn't it? They're always looking at their watch, their expensive watch. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> you know, Rick, you know the deal. Rather than kind of the the warm embrace and how are you, it's how long will this take is the first kind of easier for you just to point a lens, take a few snaps, and then get done. I had to try and get words, opinions, insights out of them. That wasn't easy. No, no, well, I had to try and get a great cover, Rick. (laughs) That's true. And you did. You did. (laughs) The famous CFC will be back with more from Chelsea photographer John Ingledew after this short break. Take on the sun with gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. That means if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us that they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. And if you're anything like me, you break sunglasses a lot, so this is helpful. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence. They have your back long after you make your purchase. Together with their customers, Shady Rays is providing much-needed support to nonprofit partners across the U.S. through Shady Rays Impact. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS, the outdoor adventure of a lifetime, Shady Rays is making an impact in your community and others like it now and for years to come. If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Shady Rays Memorial Day sale is live right now. Go to ShadyRays.com and get 35% off all sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. That's right. Go to ShadyRays.com. Were there moments, John, John, were there moments, though, where 
either at the training ground, something something happened, or on a match day where you thought to yourself, oh, God, I wish I had my camera with me, or I wish I'd really caught that, <laughs> caught the image of that. There's two things. That, there's one that I really, really tried for a lot of times. So I tried for it at Highbury. I tried for it at White Hart Lane. I really wanted to do a picture called the North-South Divide, and there was always that thing, and I, I know it's slightly different now with, the, with the, the stadiums, but there was always be that little gap between the fans with a row of stewards in the middle and about yes. two chairs on either side. And, and loads of times I tried to get it where both sets of fans were really alight or one set of fans was really alight and their other set of fans were really kind of passive or whatever. And I could never pull it off. <laughs> Partly because I would always get moved on by the stewards. You used to see me, Rick, always sneaking around trying to get yes. pictures, and not be in the dugout and trying to sit with the players. And, you know, all of that. I was always trying a to get... A different angle. Pitch. That's the point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the whole point is trying to get a pitch. The other one that, that I couldn't get a picture, which I wish I'd got a picture, is, uh, but, but I was so involved in the action, was when I saved Zola's life. Go on. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, Ranieri just arrived, decided to take the players to one of the the, the many uh, kind of resort training grounds that they have in Italy. And we arrived at this training ground um, and it, it was a huge, you know, uh, international size pitch, a huge hotel, but with no one staying except uh, the Chelsea squad. Lovely. I was there with uh, Alex Leaf, my editor from the mag at the time. It was lovely. We got to eat with the players and, and we stayed in really lovely rooms and everything. We couldn't quite work out why, why this resort was empty. And so after a bit, but you know, we got chatting to the, the staff. They said, oh, you know, the, 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 the reason the hotel fills up is, is, you know, there's this religious shrine just at the top of the hill. And boy, we will be busy this weekend. But why the football teams come is, is it's really quiet in the week and everything. So we really got used to eating with the players and sitting there. And suddenly on the Friday night, the restaurant was absolutely rammed. All the coach parties had arrived. And, you know, that, that somehow the Chelsea were a little bit off guard because uh, we've been so used to having the place to ourselves. And suddenly halfway through this supper, when the players were just sitting in the corner, the crowd saw Zola. And the, the chant went up, Zola, Zola, Zola. <laughs> and suddenly there was a surge. Everyone got up and they surged towards the Chelsea players in the corner. And there was a moment as they got closer and closer that you thought, oh, God, this is going to be quite dangerous. You know, there could be a crush here. And so we all stood up. And I was there with the Chelsea Masters and the backroom boys and everything. And you know, like those pictures of the Beatles where all the police are <laughs> linking <laughs> arms in the crowds back and everything. So we all linked arms to protect Zola, to protect Zola. And they got him out. And you know how they got him out? There was like the dumb waiter, you know, that they yeah. wheel the meals up down. No. They popped him in the dumb waiter <laughs> and, and whizzed him down the <laughs> And that is how I saved Zola's life. Magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. That is, absolutely that is a great brilliant. story. Now, John, <laughs> we're going to have to wind it up quickly because we're running out of time. I just want to say I'm working on a new pictorial history of Stamford Bridge, as a lot of people know, and we're looking to use a lot of your photos, hopefully, 
We're going to come and look at some of the unpublished ones, some of the, you know, the ones uh, that um, haven't made it into your various books, uh, and including the one of the legendary payphone at uh, Arlington that you just recently discovered. But um, where can people find your stuff? What's the best way to? You've you mentioned your zine, just quickly because yeah, we're I, really I, running out of time. I, I just work with this great, really fantastic new football site celebrating fan cultures from, from all over the world, not just UK fan culture, but Italy and, and much further abroad. They've just started putting out zines and they put out a zine called the famous CFC. So they're on lowerblock.com. Lowerblock.com. Lowerblock um, with a CK, yeah? Lower block. Uh, lower block, yeah. yeah. Like lower, lower block in the ground. Yeah. Um, they've started selling prints as well. And I, I also have a lot of stuff with the Museum of Youth Culture, who are this fantastic uh, museum, lottery funded, now dedicated to preserving the youth culture. You know, what is Britain great at? We've always produced fantastic youth cultures. They've just had a big, big show up in Coventry in the big gallery up there of, of all their collections. And their collection now includes all things like mod scooters, rockers, motorbikes, rockers, leather jackets, as well as lots of zines and everything. So look out for the Museum of Youth Culture as well. Fantastic. Rick, I absolutely love that. <laughs> he, he was a fantastic person to speak to. Um, and there were so many things that reminded me of my time at Chelsea. My memories somehow seem encapsulated in some of the, the pictures that, that he's taken that I've seen over the years. Really, really fantastic. I and enjoyed people. that. Mm. And people. Yeah, the, the, the whole gamut. But that story about Zola was just so brilliant. I loved it. <laughs> you can't imagine that being allowed to happen, could you, in a dumb waiter? You know, I mean, Zola wasn't the tallest footballer, no. but to fit into a dumbwaiter and to be whisked away in that fashion. A place Brilliant. that's normally carrying lettuces and lemons and the like up and down and dirty plates. <laughs> but John is a wonderful man. I've known him for decades um, from when we were working together, going to all the matches home and away, me writing him, photographing. And I've always loved his artistic approach. It's almost journalistic, but underpinned by a, a real understanding of art and uh, artists and approaches. And I think that really comes out in his work, but in um, but only in the quality of the uh, uh, of how he sets up the photo or spots a moment that he wants to capture. Um, because I think he's he's so smart at uh, at spotting it because of the training that he's had and the appreciation he has for fine art. Um, again, I hope to use a lot of his fantastic work in uh, the bridge. Um, but we are um, we are going to put hopefully some of his pictures on our social feed. But you can follow John on Instagram. He's at John Ingledew, and that's J O H N. I-N-G-L-E-D-E-W, John Ingledew. And uh, you can see a sample of his his work at the website museumofyouthculture.com. That's museumofyouthculture.com. And uh, 
slash John hyphen Ingledew hyphen profile. Um, so you can see a lot of his quality stuff there. And John is uh, uh, an absolute Chelsea treasure. So thanks so much for coming on, mate. A Chelsea treasure. I like that. And I'm talking to another one right now. <laughs> anyway, you've been listening to the famous CFC podcast with me, Gary Barone, and him, the Chelsea treasure, Rick Glenville. With very special thanks to our wonderful guest, John Ingledew. Now, if you like the show, please subscribe and spread the word. We'll be back again with more episodes from Series 4 soon. And in the meantime, come on, you mighty boys.